Can veganism save the NHS £7 billion a year? Watts sent scores of farmers to the Brandenburg Gate. And which council has got into hot water for daring to promote veganuary? Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Tom. I'm Anthony. And I'm Kate. And this is episode 26 of Vegan Week. Welcome to episode 26 of Vegan Week. You're probably listening to this sometime in April because we're just putting out so many episodes each week at the moment. Enough of the flaffle is at full speed. Sure is, Tom. We've got steam coming out of our ears. I was confessing to Kate before we started recording, I'm not actually keeping up with listening to all the episodes myself at the moment, which is probably a sad indictment. But yeah, we've got the Going Vegan specials. We've got three of those coming out a week. We've got Vegan Talk on Thursdays. And fear not, we have got this show, Vegan Week, every Monday. The bottom line is you'll be able to find all Enough of the Falafel episodes in the usual places on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Anyway, today we're here to talk about the week's vegan news. However, before we do, we need to thank our fabulous sponsors, Fire and Flow Coffee. If you love great coffee, want to spend your money with vegan businesses and love a cheeky discount, head over to Fire and Flow Coffee, co.uk and enter, enter Falafel 10. That's Falafel 10 at the checkout to get 10% off your order. Right, Kate, that's enough of your falafel. Let's hear what's been going on in the world of vegan and animal rights news. So, as with every episode of Vegan Week, our mission is to give a balanced and informed rundown and commentary of our top 10 vegan and animal rights news stories from the week. Anthony, what's our first story this week? Well, it's something that's made the international news, this one from the BBC, no less. German farmers blockade Berlin with tractors in subsidy row. Great pictures online if you want to follow the link in the show notes. So farmers in Germany are blockading roads in protests against subsidy cuts with more than 500 tractors and trucks parked up by Berlin's iconic Brandenburg Gate. There's also reported blockages in Baden-Württemberg, North Rhine-Westphalia, Saxony and Bavaria. The German Farming Association has called on the government to scrap all plans for cutting farmers' subsidies. Now, these subsidy cuts were designed to fix a budget crisis after a court ruled that the German government's 2024 budget was illegal. So since then, ministers have been scrambling to plug a financial black hole of tens of billions of euros after this bombshell ruling in November by Germany's constitutional court. Now, subsequent proposals to end farmers' tax breaks on agricultural diesel have already been watered down, with the change now set to be phased in over time, so that the protests seem to be having an effect already. It hasn't assuaged farmers' anger, however, and in heated scenes, a group of protesters even prevented the vice-chancellor from disembarking from a ferry last week. Kate, 
it's almost as if animal agriculture wouldn't be viable without subsidies. Yes, indeed. To be clear, the subsidies apply to all agriculture, not just animal agriculture. It's about vehicle tax subsidies. It's about it's about diesel as well, isn't it? So yeah, so it's it's from an environment environmental point of view, but obviously it's mm. it's it's still hitting the headlines, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but I think it's just good that subsidies are are kind of on the com on conversation because I, I just don't think the average person on the street knows quite how subsidised agriculture is, whether it's animal agriculture or, or arable. Yeah, absolutely. People have no idea. And um, if it wasn't for the subsidies, uh, animal agriculture in particular wouldn't exist really, would it? So same in this country. Their yeah. tractors look very smart, I have to say. We're all brand spanking <laughs> new. Did you notice? I would buy one of them. Are you getting tractor envy, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, you know, it's like we you've just said, Kate. I mean, it's it's all about, you know, getting these subsidies on people's radars, as we say, because the agriculture industry is subsidised to the hilt. And then, of course, you add into that, you know, the animal agriculture side of things. And, um, you know, without those subsidies um, and taxpayers' money going towards those um, farms and places, these places wouldn't exist. So if nothing else, it just brings to light, you know, how much the governments in Europe, especially and around the world, pour into into the farming agriculture that are in these um, in these countries and you know let's let's shine our, our spotlight on how you know subsidies are used in the uk let's you know start putting pressure on the uk government to to know you know to reduce these subsidies so we can see less animal agriculture and more uh vegetable agri- agriculture yeah and it, it strikes me as well that actually this this one thing so it's on vehicle tax that sparked like huge public demonstrations but actually, I mean, I don't know the exact figures, but presumably that's just one of many subsidies that, that German farmers are receiving. I, I don't think that's the only money they receive from the government for being a farmer. So, like, if, if, if just one tiny thing, okay, it's, it, it doesn't feel tiny to them, but if just one thing is removed and it causes this backlash, goodness knows what would happen if, if the majority of subsidies were were affected in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't it be great if every farm in this country had to come clean on all the subsidies it gets and for what as well? But even just the diesel, I reckon that um, because Animal Ag needs so much more input, I mean, obviously, you've got all the crops that are grown for the animals and as well as the transporting. I think that's going to affect animal agriculture more than growing a load of vegetables or wheat for yeah. human consumption as well. So, yeah, stands to reason, doesn't it? Well, if the German government thought they had it bad, just listen now to what has happened to the Greater Manchester Council, Kate. Yes, from Manchester Evening News, huge row erupts as Greater Manchester Council slammed over Veganuary Post. Thameside Council has come under fire for allegedly promoting veganism. Ooh. The Countryside Alliance, CA, urged the council to drop its support for veganery and instead support freedom of choice for and local farmers. This comes after the council issued a media release saying, think green and sign up to join veganery with the aim to support the environment and improve your health and well-being. Thameside Council has denied this is an endorsement of veganism and explained it was offering the option of a common New Year's resolution. 
I like the fact that it's a common year's resolution. The release, which was a point of controversy for the CA, claimed that a plant-based diet will reduce large amounts of air, soil and water pollution and cut the need to use a great number of natural resources that it takes to provide meat and fish to the population. In the Veganuary release issued on January the 4th, Thameside Council, Executive Member for Climate Emergency and Environmental Services, Councillor Denise Ward said, It is crucial that as a consumer we do what we can to help support the environment, as it said that it is the single most effective contribution an individual can make to protect the planet. So, we are encouraging everyone to make the switch for the month or to try and make greener choices where they can. The Countryside Alliance have said it is disappointing to see a council ignore these efforts and regurgitate lazy claims. Thameside Metropolitan Borough Council should be using its platform to promote the excellent meat, dairy and and vegetable produce of the North West region, rather than spreading tenuous claims about the benefits of plant-based diets or encouraging any one diet for its residents. I'm just going to pick up on this, um, this tenuous claims lazy claims if that's what you can call the most comprehensive study that has looked at uh, the food choices people make and its impact on the environment then uh, wow that must mean that all the studies that the meat and dairy industry pay i mean what would you even call those what adjective would you use to describe those it's just utter nonsense isn't it it's um it's the countryside alliance which just gives me strong hot fuzz vibes honestly they're everywhere that they're they're so prolific in just like sticking their oar in and getting really cross about things it it gives me a strange kind of pleasure i've got to say every time i see the countryside alliance commenting on something you go hey that's good We're, we're riling a few more people because we're daring to say oh Maybe we should cause a bit less harm. But it's interesting the the thing about freedom of choice that they mention, actually, because I'm pretty sure the Countryside Alliance would not have a problem if if there was a campaign saying, eat more meat. Well, that's, that's not freedom of choice then, is it? You know, I, I think we've got to give adults the benefit of the doubt that they can they can make their own choices. And just because a council is saying, maybe you should do this like there's you know there's signs in lots of cities saying oh everyone you should car share or why don't you get the bus well people don't have to follow it you don't see people car sharing all the time do you like people don't just follow the council because the council have said something i mean they just need to calm down yeah that's that's not going to happen and i think these people are clinging on for dear life to remain somewhat relevant i mean i think it's this idea as well about supporting farmers i think you know veganism and plant-based it does support farmers arable farmers so you know they're they're arguing like oh poor woe is me oh no veganism it does support farmers i think that's just so it yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm, and I'm sort of like tripping over my words here, but I think I'm just, I'm so bemused by by those quotes from the Countryside Alliance, which I just have to read in that hot fuzz style voice. Um, Kate, what do you think about all all of that? They're not exactly holding a shotgun to people and saying, you must do veganuary, are they? You know, you're right, it's a complete choice. But I mean, when you when you uh, look at it, they, they've sort of gone on about the usual stuff about pioneering 
regenerative farming techniques that, that reduce emissions and increase biodiversity. You know, they don't mind pumping out those lies, do they? And I, I'm really, I am really pleased to see the council kind of standing up to them, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we saw it with the, the NatWest story a, a month or so ago, where just a little bit of pressure from the NFU and then they go, oh, no, sorry, we didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. Whereas like, yeah, the Tameside council are saying no get back in your corner like we're not you're misrepresenting our words like we're sticking by this people should be considering this like we're not mandating it shut up let us let us say what we want to say yeah good for them the bit where they say they claim that british meat production is amongst the most sustainable in the world is like saying we have the most humane slaughter in the uk oh hang on a minute (laughs) I do say that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Let's go to our headline story for this week now. It sounds like after his vegan lunch date last week, Nigel Farage has been working some propaganda for the vegan movement. Tom's got more on this one. I certainly do. Yes, this is from the Office of Health and Economics. As reported in Practice Business, veganism, a £7 billion lifesaver for the NHS. You never know, you might even see it on the side of a bus. Yes, new research (laughs) unveils potential savings of £6.7 billion per year and over 2 million fewer disease cases if England adopts a plant-based diet, urging policymakers to consider the health and financial benefits. One of the most striking findings of the analysis is the estimated total healthcare cost savings achieved through lower incidence of some of the major diseases that currently affect people in the UK and other Western societies. Adding all parts of the research together, the projected total net benefit to the NHS is around £18.8 billion per year. Now, of course, we are all about balance here on Enough of the Falafel, so it's important that we highlight the fact that the Vegan Society funded the analysis. That said, though, the Office for Health and Economics who conducted the research is a registered charity and independent research organisation. They are now calling for future research to investigate the casual effects of the vegan diet on health outcomes and healthcare resources across different populations and what do you reckon oh i'm really torn here i think i think the three of us are all you know card carrying members of team vegan you know we'll go out there in our vegan runners tops and you know we've got a lot of positives to say about veganism obviously personally i ooh, i'm this is not going to be something that i i'm shouting from the rooftops um, because I think it's a little bit cynical and it's a little bit like, oh, let's take the political football that is the NHS and let's let's do a Nigel Farage and go, hey, look how much money we could all give to the NHS if we all went vegan. Now, of course, of course, there's a, the potential for us all to eat a whole food plant-based diet. And yes, I'm sure it would save the NHS a lot of money and, and cause a lot more positive things too. That said, we could all go vegan and be incredibly unhealthy. So I don't know. There's something about it that I feel is maybe a little bit disingenuous. I understand where they're coming from. I could imagine I could imagine a conversation that I'd have with someone where I might bring this up. 
However, the fact it's been funded by the Vegan Society, if it was if the boot was on the other foot and the dairy industry had funded something that said, look how much the NHS could save if everyone ate dairy, we'd be all over it, wouldn't we? So, I mean, that's, the numbers are staggering, aren't they? Like, my God, like those, those numbers are incredible. There's just something about it that leaves a funny taste in the mouth for me. What, what do you think, Kate? Well, I have to disagree <laughs> because... Good, hey, good. <laughs> because I think it's probably, in fact, I'm sure it's absolutely true. The NHS would save an enormous amount of money if people went plant-based, whole food vegan, what have you, um, healthy food. So many diseases are reversible, hash, stroke preventable. Diabetes is a hideous disease. A lot of people really suffer with it. And there are so many repercussions to it. You know, people get very sick and have to have loads of different treatments. I don't think the pharmaceutical industry will be at all happy. Not at all. That pleases yeah. me. If I can just quickly respond, Kate, like I, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't know whether this research is is specific enough in saying if everybody ate a whole food plant-based diet... Like I'm looking at the text here in this story and it's saying if England adopts a plant-based diet, and as, as we know, that, that could involve Oreos, donuts and pints of Guinness, mm. that's not going to help. So I think we just maybe need to be a bit more precise. I there. think obviously, well, no, not obviously, but a healthy plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet, that's yeah. that's what I'm I'm thinking they're talking about really. Not, yeah. not the Oreo diet. Yeah, but that's no. we no, but that's we've got to get that across. Otherwise, it's a kind of pointless headline, isn't it? And then if we if we don't make that, I'm slightly catastrophizing here, but if we don't make that clear, then that opens the door for the kind of headlines that we saw last week, where the Daily Mail go, "Oh, did you actually know that uh, vegan pizza is not particularly healthy?" It's like, well, yeah, of course, of course, we know that, but I think until because we're vegan, we know that. Mm. You know, but whereas people who've not lived as vegans, that they might just see it as something that's always healthy, and and we've got to just make that distinction. I think. Yeah, I think you both raise uh, very valid points. I think the the key word that's missing there for me as well is whole food, plant based, because unfortunately, you're right, and a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, misguidedly will think, oh yeah, if I eat a plant based beef burger or a Beyond Meat burger, that's fine, that's going to be healthy because it's vegan. So I do think there's, um, and then of course, as you say, certain uh, publications will jump on that as well. Veganism's failing because vegan burgers are really unhealthy. Obviously, they're not meant to be healthy. They're mm. meant to replicate the the taste, the textures of, of you know animal products. Um, so I do think that it is a slightly misleading headline. And I, mm. I, but I do think on the other hand, Kate, you are right because we know there are so many studies that show. You know, a whole food plant-based diet reduces the risk of things like stroke, heart disease, certain types of cancers. We know this, um, that the science is abundant. Um, I just think that it needed to be a bit more specific, as you say, Ant, um, with... Well, even just change change the headline, instead of being veganism, a £7 billion life save for the, N- for the NHS, say whole foods plant-based diet a seven billion pounds life save because like veganism is a lifesaver for animals that's 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 what veganism is isn't it yeah. and yes of course within it, there we've got this beautiful bonus of a whole food plant-based diet yeah. that can do it, that it, can do other it stuff too. the ethical stance of veganism with plant-based <laughs> diet and i think that's and that's a yeah. dis- distinction a lot of people 
um, you know, yeah. I've stopped going to the zoo, and that's going to save that's going to save the NHS money. It's 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 not it's not related at all. Like we just need to get the terminology clear, don't we? One hundred percent. I'd I'd like to see the hospitals take this on board. Can you imagine that? I mean, how are they going to get rid of all the junk food in there for a start? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can't move for crisps and cakes and and you've got all the processed meats and everything. I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know how how on earth they would, would tackle this. Two and a half years ago when my son was born, my wife was in hospital uh, giving birth. And just it, it was, as you say, Kate, it's staggering, uh, the food um, options that were available in the canteen or that were brought to patients and you just think that there's a Tom what were you doing in the canteen while your wife's oh, you in know, labour you know, a bit of a stretching the old legs um, no I was bringing that I was on tea <laughs> duty and uh, food duty um, no I will, I will say though the NHS uh, at our local hospital did provide some lovely uh, vegan options for us which were brilliant but generally speaking on the menu or you think you know people are getting all sorts of processed meat and I just yeah it just makes you sort of cringe and think oh what are you doing you're already in financial trouble NHS don't make it worse for yourself but no definitely well while we're on the subject of studies with speculative numbers let's hear about another bit of number crunching with less positive sounding outcomes for animals yeah less positive sounding at the outset but i'm pretty sure we can debunk this this is from our favorite website farming uk meat and dairy offer 30 percent better value than vegan alternatives study says so a major new study claims to have revealed that vegan and vegetarian alternatives cost the public 30 percent more per calorie than dairy or meat equivalents. Now, hold your emails. We are going to look at this in more detail than just the headline. The story reads as follows. The 16-month study concluded that meat and dairy products give consumers far more bang for their buck than plant-based alternatives. Commissioned by Kite Consulting and AB Dairy, it compared two baskets of randomly selected vegan and vegetarian foods and brands. This was done on a monthly basis with their conventional twins from three supermarkets, Tesco, Sainsbury's and Asda, running from June 22 to November 23. So, for example, a meat substitute mince was compared with beef mince, vegan sausages with pork sausages, vegan burgers with beef burgers, fish-free fish fingers, that's a mouthful, with fish fingers, vegan cheese with cheddar, oat or almond milk with cow's milk. Standard premium branded and supermarket own ranges were included in the study with vegan and conventional products within the same categories being compared. So what are the numbers I hear you ask? Well, analysis showed that across all products from all supermarkets, consumers paid an average of 42 pence per calorie for vegan alternatives compared to 30 pence per calorie for conventional foods and brands. Now, John Allen at Kite Consulting said of the study, despite the current cost of living crisis, we don't hear comments on the nutritional quality of these products in relation to their cost. Our very simple but long-term study has shed light on this, and it shows that when it comes to buying calories, which is effectively what we do when we buy food, Mm, I'd question that, but anyway, uh, meat and dairy, just off to buy some calories, uh, meat and dairy products give consumers far more bang for their buck. Right, Kate, you go first. Where, where do we start? What a load of old top. 
<laughs> yeah, load of rubbish, isn't it? What 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 stands out for you initially then? Well, for a start, it's rubbish, isn't it? A a a, a vegan a plant based diet has been shown to who was it Oxford? I can't remember who who did the study. Somebody did the study study to show that it can be as much as a third cheaper than an omnivore diet. So and and mostly as vegans, we don't eat those sorts of foods do we um they are tra- more transition foods and the occasional food perhaps um they weren't comparing chickpeas or anything like that were they um i don't know what do you two think well i, I ran the numbers on chickpeas because oh. i was looking at that and thinking 42 pence per calorie for a vegan alternative i was thinking well hang on i, I have like two thousand to two and a half thousand calories a day like i'm not spending that much money on food and so i did some like basic grocery staples and like yeah like tin of chickpeas is about 70p or maybe a bit cheaper depending on where you go about 250 calories so that's 0.3 pence per calorie so i think they're looking at like vivera steaks and like richmond vegan sausages and stuff like that and yeah they cost more per calorie but like that's that's not what most vegans are eating like you say it's, it's important to to recognize that th- these transition foods or, or things that people might try do cost more but people aren't stupid they can see that it costs a bit more and that's why some people don't buy them and it also doesn't put some people off buying them so I don't know. It's obviously comparing, as you say, those sort of faux meats, faux cheeses, which I think most people know that supermarkets always mark up those products. But I do think it's worth mentioning. Uh, I think it was Tesco recently. Um, they reduced their markup on their uh, branded, their own branded vegan items to match their own uh, meat items. So what they'll sell, say, vegan sausages for, they'll sell pork sausages for at the same um, sort of markup as it were but yeah lentils chickpeas rice pasta bread bananas apples all the orange oranges all the fruits and vegetables you can name it's just nonsense these are some of the cheapest things you'll find in a supermarket so it's obviously it's obviously comparing it to the um the faux stuff which i also i enjoy that I love me a bit of uh, faux yeah. stuff. I love me some uh, vegan cheese. And um, what, you know, what does that include? Tofu, tempeh, and all those other stuff that's, you know, decent and healthy for you. So it's obviously got an angle, hasn't it? But as you say, Kate, there's been a study that goes out and shows actually you could save, I think, as you say, about a third off your food bill if you went into a more whole foods, plant-based diet. So I think most vegans know that that they will spend more money on their food bill, perhaps, that if they buy a lot of that faux stuff that, that replicates the meat and dairy than if they have a whole food plant-based diet. So that's not news to us, but obviously it's a sensational headline that's being used to sort of, um, you know, go, oh, well, if you go vegan, not only will you not get enough protein and your bones will melt, uh, it'll cost you more money as well. Just stick with dairy and meat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, it's just one of those sensational yeah. headlines. I just think as well, though, like... I'm I'm not going vegan to try and save money. A, a Julie pointed out last week, it does say on Veganuary's website, oh, you might save money on your shopping if you go vegan, which I'm not I'm not entirely keen on that angle. But anyway, like that's not why I do it. And if I have to spend a third more on my shopping to avoid slaughtering innocent animals, fine, bring it on. Like I don't care. I'm not made of money, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm spending what 
50 quid on groceries a, a week with with my partner like if we have to spend if, if we would spend 40 as as omnivores well i don't care i'll, I'll spend an extra tenner but it's it, as we've said you, you don't have to eat that way and going back to our first study uh, first first story looking at subsidies i looked it up online around 33 percent of animal farmers income comes from subsidies so if we take away those subsidies how much are pork sausages costing then how much is dairy cheese costing then it's costing way more than 30p per calorie then you're, you're then starting to look at what 50p 60p 70p a calorie so let's be honest about the cost because if we're not paying for it at the till we're paying for it in our income tax or our council tax or whatever it's really disingenuous and it's a shame that motivated vegans are the people that have to point this out rather than you know wouldn't it be nice if if there, there was just general integrity in i don't know scientific community or the media that could say yeah come on let's look at this a bit more closely you're so right Anthony and I think perhaps they should put other things apart from calories on the their products you know um let's have their co2 you know uh, output or mm. nitrous oxide and methane out you know let's have um how much pollution they caused, how much water they used to, to create their products, all those things, you know, because those are the hidden costs as well that we're all paying, all of us. So, And our grandchildren are paying for them too. Right, I feel like we're on a roll here. Come on, we're going to take Farming UK down. There's another Farming UK story on the list this week. Let's, let's get it out there now, Kate. What have we got? Why not? The headline this time reads, DEFRA survey highlights disease risk in animal feed storage units. Now, I'm a little confused here because I thought that farmed animals grazed on fresh pastures of grass. I've never seen huge silos of animal feed imported from across the world in meat ads. Anyway, a new DEFRA survey has highlighted the risks of disease in animal feed storage units with farmers advised to regularly clean such facilities. Following a survey in late 2023, DEFRA has released advice to cattle farmers to help reduce the risks of disease in animal feed storage units. The advice highlights the importance of cleaning animal feed storage areas, containers and equipment regularly and thoroughly. This will maintain healthy and productive animals, avoid unnecessary contamination and reduce the risk of disease on your farm, DEFRA says. I hate that, don't you? Healthy and productive animals. Anyway, Tom, good to know that animals' health and productivity is important to animal farmers. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, I mean, I'm a bit confused because I thought it was animal welfare that was the single most important thing to our, our farming community. <laughs> um, but no, apparently it's all about the productivity. Um, but you, you know, they've mentioned silos. It's like they're saying the quite a bit out loud now. This is f a far, far flung thing from the lovely open plains of grass that we see cows and sheep and pigs on, isn't it? Um, this isn't normally something we would hear about in the media at all. It's like one of the things that like to hide away. It just shows how poorly treated animal ag animals are in ag animal agriculture. And it's just how bad that their food is looked after. The farmers can't even be bothered to clean it um, and to, you know, keep it in good working order to, you know, so the animals aren't getting ill. Um, it's 
you, oh, it's it's one of those stories that you you read or you hear and you just sort of think, my goodness, do we have such a low opinion of of these animals that that's what we've been reduced to as as a as a race, a human race? That's how lowly we think of some animals, and it's just it's just really sad. That's it, isn't it? Like you you live with two rescue dogs, Tom. Like you know, do do you clear the do you clean the plate that they have their food on occasionally? Clean, do you, do you... clean their bowls. Am I supposed to do that? Yeah. Next you'll be telling me I can them for this a walk or, or give them a bath. I am being sarcastic, everyone. You know, I, I, I don't want to risk in my vegan card. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like it's, it's basic stuff. And, I, you know, maybe a, an argument against that would be, well, you know, we're looking after animals at, at a huge scale. We can't give the same attention that a, that a pet or, you know, companion animal owner can can put in well maybe that's an argument against doing that then isn't it if you can't look after the animals properly if you can't make sure that their their food is is free from contaminants because you can't be bothered to wash out their storage facilities from time to time maybe you shouldn't be looking after that number of animals looking after of course being a rather ironic phrase there but no it's it's like like you say it's you know this isn't really going to be one of the biggest headlines of the year but it it, it does just show doesn't it that the reality of animal ag yeah yeah it just it, it just makes me wonder about the the food you know it's moldy bug infested and i mean when you read the article as well it talks about that they're still getting cases of bse you know and yeah. um you think Oh my God! Is that getting out into the population? So, I mean, the poor animals. It's a horrendous thing. But I actually had somebody nearby me a few years ago who died of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. He was a young guy, and um, you know, it does make you wonder if there's even some cases still happening within our, the human population. Yeah. And the fact that all the record keeping and the cleaning things are just suggestions. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just suggested. It's not mandatory. You think, blooming heck, it should be, you know, they should be on it, shouldn't they? But I guess probably yeah. they don't get inspected anyway. So yeah, and this, um, that's why all those like exposés of people going into farms are so important. Those people's filming what farms are like yeah. is so important mm. um, because that's how I always find that a lot of people in the general public that aren't vegans, it's very out of sight, out of mind. And mm. some of these like, mm. stories like that might not resonate with someone who wasn't vegan because they just might shrug their shoulders and go, Ooh. but if you give them the pictures of it, if you show them film of it, that's when it suddenly starts to hit home a lot more. So that's where, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, that's where those sort of stories of people going undercover into farms are so, so important. And unfortunately, it is only when people start getting sick as well from various hideous, yeah. delightful diseases you can catch off of animals or their secretions or what have you. So, okay. Well, let's have a change of folks now. It's been brilliant to see how many new animal rights campaigns have been announced in the last week. Tom's got news of the first of three that we're reporting on this week. I certainly do. And this is one that's very close to my heart. One kind org reports that Scottish Greens to launch Bill to ban greyhound racing. Yes, earlier this week, Mark Roskell, MSP, announced his intention to bring a bill to the Scottish Parliament to ban greyhound racing. The legislation would make it illegal to hold races and put an end to Scotland's last remaining dog racing track. 
the Unbound the Greyhound Coalition, coordinated by One Kind, has been working closely with Mark Ruskell to expose the reality of greyhound racing, and we are very supportive of Mr. Ruskell's plans to take action to try and secure an end to dog racing in Scotland. Mr. Ruskell said, This cruel practice has no place in modern Scotland. Greyhound racing is beyond reform, and it's time to bring it finally to an end. All the evidence is there, from the deaths and the injuries to the investigations of those who champion animal welfare every day. The inherent risks of racing dogs at 40 miles per hour around a curved track are too great. It's dangerous and unethical. We cannot stand idly by and allow greyhounds to die, be injured or left abandoned. It is time to take action and I hope MSP colleagues will fully support my bill. Mr. Ruskell will share the details of the bill in the coming months through a consultation. And are you feeling confident about this one going through? I mean, I don't I don't know about the, you know, the legal process and and what MSPs are, are likely to say, but and this is a random point to make, but uh, Goodwill Hunting was on the telly last night and there's a scene in that where they are at a greyhound track and I just thought, "Oh yeah, that does still happen, doesn't it? But it's it's one of those where you just kind of think there can't be many people in this country who are kind of pro-greyhound racing. There's pro- probably a lot of people who are ambivalent, but I can't imagine there's many staunch advocates um, like there is for horse racing. You know, if, if the if the Grand National horse race was, was just cancelled because it's cruel, I think there would be a reasonable amount of backlash. Whereas I think if greyhound racing was just wiped out, in this country. I know this is just referring to Scotland, but I don't think there'd be that much backlash. Of course, there's people who are invested in it and and in various different ways, but it kind of feels like a low-hanging fruit that these these brave campaigners, it's, it's a good idea to go after. And I, I just can't imagine there'd be much backlash. I don't know about the two of you. I, I don't know many people who go greyhound mm. racing every no, I'm, weekend. I'm inclined to agree with you, Ant, but as someone who has a greyhound or a uh, galgo, which is uh, the Spanish cousin of a greyhound, I'm very... Uh, I'm very pleased that this might become a thing. And, you know, as you say, you know, is the last track, you know, as you say, low hanging fruit, perhaps. Um, but for me, that that that's enough. And hopefully, you know, I don't hold, you know, much court, but hopefully maybe that would happen in England, Wales, Northern Ireland as well. You know, we can we can hope um, and campaigns like this, you know, they can get people to start thinking a bit more about animal rights. Um, and you you just never know, you might you know, some people might read a story like this and go, oh, well, I didn't know about that. And it might get them to reconsider the way mm. they treat certain animals. And hopefully that will then be a, like a bit of a snowball effect. And you just never know where it can lead you. Well, from a cynical point of view, if this Greyhound track were shut down, you could then run with the headline and say, Greyhound racing is completely banned in Scotland, even though it's just one track being shut down. It, 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 again, just makes it have a bit more kudos doesn't it and like you say get to people's minds um because p- people love animals it at their heart don't they it's it's just how we get th- through that message and, and get people to align that with their actions i have no idea how many racetracks there are in england or any in wales even i mean i don't know anybody who's ever been to a greyhound racing track but I know plenty of rescued people with rescued greyhounds, you know, so lots of people with them as pets. I've just looked it up, oh. Kate. There are 21 active Greyhound Board of Great Britain registered stadiums in the UK. I'm shocked, actually. 
21. Mm. I mean, I've just Googled this and got it from Wikipedia, and it's also said there are no active great greyhound tracks in Scotland, which we've just said from this story is not quite true. Right. So maybe use that number as an approximation. Perhaps hopefully they'll start on England next then and start knocking those off one yeah. by one, hey? Well, yeah, th- this is the thing. It's, it's not like there's thousands, is it? You know? No, <laughs> and I know it's I know it's just one type of dog, um, but it's I, I think we, we've got to go for any victory we can, and it, it's it's just you know getting getting momentum sometimes, isn't it? I know know there's arguments for and against single issue campaigns, but I don't know it, they they make a difference as far as I can yeah. tell anyway. I would be inclined to agree. Now, Ant, you've got news of a campaign that's made the international headlines. Yeah, this popped up in a few places. Um, This story we've taken from CBS News, this particular article. Animal rights group Peter launches campaign pushing UK King's Guard to drop iconic bearskin hats. So the US-based animal rights group Peter has detailed an undercover investigation into the practice of baiting and killing black bears with guns or crossbows in Canada, which it says is fuelled by a British military tradition. The group, in a statement and a video released on Wednesday, was narrated by actor and comedian Stephen Fry, and it alleges that the fur from the bears killed using this method, which isn't actually illegal in Canada, is auctioned off and sometimes ends up in the iconic hats worn by the soldiers of the King's Guard. The Peter campaign calls on the UK Ministry of Defence to switch to fake fur in the hope that it will curb the form of hunting. Bears were hunted to extinction in the UK in medieval times, but bear baiting as a form of hunting has been explicitly outlawed under Britain's wildlife protection laws for more than four decades. Now, in the video, Stephen Fry says, every day that our soldiers wear hats made from the fur of slaughtered bears brings dishonour to our country. And this audio runs over footage of hunters using buckets of sweet or greasy food to lure unsuspecting animals in before shooting and skinning them. The campaign goes on to say it's time to modernise the iconic symbol of Britain by switching to a fabulous faux fur that has been tested specifically to ensure its suitability for use by the King's Guard. Now, according to public records obtained by Peter, the Ministry of Defence purchased almost 500 bearskin hats between 2017 and 2022. Kate, almost like the monarchy is a bit outdated, wouldn't you say? Mm, Yeah, no comment. Yep. Oh, I've got plenty of comment on that. We can we can go anti monarchy all day as far well, as Well, yeah, concerned. okay, so can I, but hey. <laughs> but yeah. If I can just sorry, I've asked you a question. Yeah, yeah. I just I I hold I held my tongue during the article. Uh Stephen Fry saying every day that our soldiers wear hats made from fur brings dishonour to our country. I'd say generally the monarchy <laughs> as a whole brings dishonour to our country. That's my opinion. Oh. But sorry, Kate, carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, indeed. Yeah. Oh dear. It's it's horrible when you watch the film it's gross isn't it just gross and um the fact that uh what do they say um oh our guardsmen take immense pride in wearing the bearskin cap with its iconic image of britain and the quality of sustainability of the caps is incredibly important blah 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 you know we've hunted our own bears to extinction just to make hats out of them now let's hunt 
bears in Canada as well to extinction. I mean, I wonder what are they going to wear after there are, are no more bears? You know, what will they will they go for the faux, faux fur then, I wonder? Well, they, they, they say, oh, I mean, this is Peter saying this. They're saying you can switch to a fabulous faux fur that has been tested specifically to ensure its suitability for use. What, what do you mean? They just ponce around in them. They're, they're just ornamental. They're like they're not. They're not this like really high tech army super sleek camouflage. They're ridiculous. They look like clowns. What? Like, come on. Let's put these things in perspective. Like, like you say, animals are being horrifically killed, skinned. It's it's abhorrent. Just so these people can march around looking like a prat and like a, a tourist taking a picture of a bear hat doesn't care if a bear's i mean they'd probably much rather the bear didn't die wouldn't they but they're not going sorry before i take this picture can i just check that's definitely dead bear on your head because if not i'm not taking a picture it's, it's a nonsense it's embarrassing i'm embarrassed that, that my country does this i'm embarrassed by a lot of the things my country does sometimes and this is this yeah. is definitely up there why the hell do they need so many bloody hats was it 500 <laughs> in five years that's a high staff turnover that's that isn't it nonsense but i thought they were supposed to go on forever that was part of the, you know you know they they, they 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 last that's why we use bearskin blah, blah, blah. so that's obviously utter nonsense um my only hope i yeah. suppose is by using you know stephen fry who's one of those people that you sometimes think of as being quintessentially british by using someone of mm. that sort of high standing and high who's in many circles very well highly thought of that it may sway public support i think the only other person that could do a better job would be david attenborough so um you know so perhaps mm. a, a good move there using uh stephen fry mm. I, I mean i think stephen fry would be better than um attenborough because i think people associate attenborough with nature things already so they might say well you would say that you love all the animals whereas stephen fry is yeah he's he's sort of uh not his raison d'etre, but the, the the thing that people associate him with is, like you say, being quintessentially British. So, fingers crossed. Well, on, I think they should all be wearing flat caps or bowler hats. <laughs> as yeah, yeah. Or, even, or even top hats. The bowler is a far more quintessentially British hat than... Uh... <laughs> or a kiss me quick hat from the beach. How about yeah. that? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I th I think that a far more suitable thing for the King's Guard to be wearing would be a jester's hat. But there we are. That's just my opinion. One more campaign to hear about now. Great to be able to feature so many of these campaigns. Um, the focus on this one is not so great, though, Kate. No. From The Guardian, Animal Rights Group urges halt to monstrous Lincolnshire salmon farm. So... Animal rights campaigners are urging Michael Gove to stop the construction of the UK's first fully on-land salmon farm, claiming the decision to give it planning permission was flawed. Animal equality says an environmental impact assessment should have been carried out before North East Lincolnshire Council gave the green light to the salmon farm in Cleethorpes, which it says would be the UK's biggest on land or at sea. The Aquacultured Seafood Limited development aims to produce 5,000 tonnes of fish a year, but was deemed unlikely to have significant effects on the environment by virtue of factors such as nature, size or location. Animal Equality described the decision as mind-bogglingly irresponsible. 
The campaigners say that there are significant risks from water being pumped from the Humber estuary, which is designated as a wetland of international importance under the Ramsar Convention, then being pumped back in after it has been used by the farm to house the fish, as well as from contamination to the surrounding area and wildlife from diseased fish. Tom... What an absolute car crash this story is. Uh, it, it, it certainly is. And I think the thing that tells you that it's going to be a car crash is as soon as you hear Michael go. Bit of, around, <laughs> I, I, I'm a teacher. I started uh, working in the teaching profession uh, when Michael Gove was education secretary. Oh, it was awful, wasn't it? I was too. <laughs> Mind-bogglingly irresponsible. That is just Michael Gove in a nutshell. Yeah, he should just have it on, on his, like, I don't know, put, put above his door <laughs> or on his car. Just mind-bogglingly irresponsible. He's, That's me. The man is just a cretin, and I, I really don't like him. I know this story isn't about necessarily Michael Gove, but I just I really don't like him. Um, so that's that's what I'm going to go with yeah. first. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that it's a car crash because yeah. Michael Gove is involved in the conversation. But what I will say is, it's it, uh, vegan food often gets a lot of jip, and my father-in-law is one of these people. Just sort of goes, "Oh, you don't know what's in it. Oh, I won't eat that because you just don't know what's in it because uh, it's unnatural and all this." Uh, and then you get stories like this. Um, you know, things like this are being done and concocted and all this sort of stuff. And vegan food is the thing that's unnatural. Does does your father-in-law do the voiceovers for the Countryside <laughs> Alliance, Tom? He does not, as far as I'm aware. If he does, he's... <laughs> they, do, they just sounded quite similar to, to, to um, that, that voice. I've not specifically seen a inland salmon farm before, so I've just bashed it into Google Images now. I'd encourage anyone listening to do the same. At, at some point in the next few days, you don't see many pictures of that on on the packaging for salmon, or when people you know think, oh, you know, brilliant British seafood. I mean, the irony here. I don't know. Maybe I'm being particularly cynical, but this is being done near Cleethorpes now. Cleethorpes, Grimsby, that is known as a, a big area for fish, but they get they're getting the fish from the sea. I'm not defending it, of course, but I wonder whether they've said put this inland salmon farm near Grimsby so that we can say you know oh look you know it's Grimsby fish but when people think of Grimsby fish they assume it's been in the sea not not some hideous salmon farm I mean when you look at the images of it they're they're disgusting places obviously all animal agriculture is but like like you say Tom talk about unnatural I mean it's it's like caging birds that even even people who eat meat will generally look at a bird in a cage and think that's no that doesn't seem natural to me in the way that they might overlook sheep in a field and say well that looks reasonably natural well you know we'll give them a pass these salmon farms are disgusting and yeah mind-bogglingly irresponsible that that it's just not being questioned by the authorities oh they're incredibly cruel as well aren't they i mean just Mm. you know i mean salmon they're they're you know, naturally, they would swim thousands and thousands of miles. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're, I don't know, whereas to be, and then they're going to be kept in these tiny little ponds, I guess. And then they're fed sea food, aren't they? Sea, sea fish, ground up bits of sea fish. Um, you know, yeah. it's not sustainable in any way. Um, it's absolutely horrible. And um, I mean, I did have a look. I had a look on the Humane League website. Actually, they're they're saying that we should use the word fishes. Um, what a fish knows. Um, 
by Jonathan Bolcom. I don't know if either of you read it. I've got it and haven't read it yet, actually. Um, he points out that referring to their plural as fish lumps them together like rows of insentient corn. Uh, But the truth is that fishes are individuals with personalities, relationships and the capacity to feel. Mm. So, I mean, that's being completely denied, isn't it? Mm. And plus also, I I wondered about the um, pollution aspect of it. And uh, they say that the problem stems from the fact that a single fish farm containing 200,000 salmon produces the same amount of nitrogen as a city with 20,000 people and the same raw sewage as 63,000 people. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? It's just horrible. And those poor things have to live in it until it's released or whatever. Good stats, Kate, good stats. Well, we've got just two stories left. First up, an update on one that's been rumbling long for the last couple of months. Tom. Yes, uh, from greenqueen.com. Big animal rights win as South Korea bans the sale of dog meat in historic decision. So after a few months of speculation, we can now confirm that South Korea's parliament has banned the country's dog meat trade after years of decline in consumption and an increase in pet adoption over the last few decades. It's a move hailed by youngsters and animal rights campaigners, while as we've heard on previous episodes of the pod, industry associations say they'll lose their livelihoods. This move will see the breeding, butchery, distribution and sale of dogs for meat be prohibited, putting an end to a centuries-old practice that is no longer popular with the majority of the population. While the legislation doesn't prohibit the consumption of dog meat, it effectively draws the curtain on the controversial practice. The bill was first introduced in November 2023, two years after a task force was established to explore the ban on dog meat in South Korea. Support for the legislation grew after President Yoon Suk-yul took office in 2022. He and First Lady Kim Kyun hee are well-known animal lovers, having adopted six dogs and eight cats. The law will come into force in 2027, giving the industry a three-year grace period to transition away from the trade and find alternative sources for employment. After this, violators will face penalties of up to three years in prison. Butchering carries a maximum of three. Raising or selling a dog meat carries two. And alongside a fine of 30 million won, which is equivalent to $22,800. In a survey released earlier this week by Seoul think tank Animal Welfare Awareness, research and education, over 94% of respondents said they hadn't eaten dog meat in the past year. Reports say that the majority of dog meat farmers and slaughterers want to leave the industry, but they don't know how to leave the industry. Now, with this bill having a compensation package and financial support from the government, they have the opportunity to do so. While no details have been released about the amount the Korean Association of Edible Dogs is seeking, the equivalent of at least $1,520 per dog over the next five years. On top of the expenses for facilities that will become defunct, 
Based on its estimates, which are much higher than the agricultural ministries, this would equate to compensation sum of around $2.28 billion. And we're covering this uh, quite a lot on the show at the moment, um, which might seem strange for something that's quite uh, specific, but it throws up a lot of thought-provoking issues. Yeah, I I think so. And um, like you say, it's it's obviously important to South Korean dogs, but it's 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 very specific. But I mean, particularly, I, I want to give a shout out to to GreenQueen.com, which is a really good news source and really well written articles that we, we get a lot of our stuff from there. And and this article in particular, it, it sheds a light on things in the, the, the way that other news stories haven't. Particularly this thing about the compensation that that the dog farmers are are asking from the Korean Association of Edible Dogs. Like what an what a organization that is. Oh it's Yeah, the... I had to I had to when I was reading that, oh it just felt it feels horrible. It yeah, feels horrible. yeah. Oh it's the uh, Korean Association of Edible Dogs on the phone, sir. Okay, yeah, put them through. Th- that side of things and the fact that like they've done this this survey, this sole think tank saying that over 94% of respondents said they hadn't eaten dog meat in the past year. We're seeing this as a big victory, but the fact is you've got a country there where only 6% of the people are paying for an animal to be exploited. The other 94% presumably disagree. It's not that they haven't got round to it. They disagree with it, and yet it's still legal. And when the government finally does make it illegal, that I mean, obviously they might not get the compensation, but they're asking for absurd amounts of compensation for doing something that that's no longer legal. I mean, it's an interesting one and makes you think, well, how do we transition towards a a vegan world just in general or, or, or things in this country? Like, gosh, I hope it doesn't get to that stage before before changes are made. I, I just wonder what they feed the dogs on, actually. Do they feed them meat or do they feed them a plant-based diet? I don't know. I wonder. In which case, if they feed them meat, that will impact on other animals as well, I guess. Mm. I could be wrong and I could be being sort of veiled xenophobic here but i can't imagine they're being particularly fussy on what they're feeding the animals Mm. you'd you'd imagine it's the cheapest lowest grade feed possible but Mm. i could be wrong it is it is a good good story for dogs but like i've said before what are the people going to be eating instead right anthony finish the job then what's our last story of the week well it's not from the korean association of edible dogs um it is from breakingtravelnews.com bit of a little one been featured by a few news outlets i thought it's just a nice little indicator of how many more people are choosing to eat animal product free food just in the last year as well, when we've been hearing that all oh, the vegan bubbles bursting. No, 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 no. Not according to Emirates Airways, who reveal that the demand for plant-based cuisine has increased by 40% in one year. So as global interests peak in for January, Emirates has released a press release noting a surge of 40% in customer demand for plant-based meals. Now, to meet this demand in 2024, they are introducing an array of new vegan dishes on board and in lounges later this year, adding even more dishes to its vegan vault of more than 300 curated plant-based recipes. I've got to say, the whole the whole article is clearly a press release, so there are certain phrases that are very much the Emirates PR departments and not mine. The airline have released data showing that in 2023, they served more than 450,000 plant-based meals on board, which is an increase from 280,000 meals 
the year before. Interestingly, the Middle East showed a significant additional increase of 34% when compared with the rest of the world. For anyone interested, the biggest increase in consumption of vegan meals occurred in economy class. So we're, we're not the the really posh ones, um, and significant increases were noted specifically on Emirates routes to China, Japan and Philippines. I know when I'm travelling to East Asia, I get peckish for a bit of tofu. Now, personally, I'm not a fan of flying for, for several reasons, um, but as a gauge of plant-based eating, the numbers look pretty good and and certainly shout back against that vegan bubble-bursting claims what, what do you two think? Am I being rose tinted or is it up the Emirates? I think up the Emirates. Let's, you know, let's take this and uh, let's run with it. Let's be optimistic. That vegan bubble has not burst as proven by Emirates. Thank you, Emirates. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, Emirates, we're so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, um, you fly planes across the world. That's not very good. But, um, <laughs> I want to try some of those meals, though. I'd like to see what they are. They, they, look, genuinely, they looked interesting. I vegan airplane food tastes better than the airplane food i remember from my childhood i mean um, it sounded very posh i imagine emirates food is generally going to be better than than ryanair's i'm not suggesting that's where, who you were flying with tom but I, I i would imagine ryanair's vegan options are not perhaps the same as emirates but um i'll stick to restaurants i think yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> okay well that brings us to an end of this week's top 10 stories from us so a question to all of you listening what are your thoughts on this week's news? Are you tempted to hop on your tractor and join the party in central Berlin? Is veganism the new Brexit that will save our NHS billions of pounds per year? And have you opted to stop storing all your household ingredients in a huge disease-ridden silo? And if there's anything else we've missed, missed this week, or in fact got completely wrong, let us know your thoughts and opinions. Indeed, we'd love to hear from you. And just a reminder, if you spot news or articles that you think would catch our interest, get in touch with us by email at enoughoftheflarful at gmail.com. We're also at enoughoftheflarful on Facebook, Instagram or TikTok where you can get little sneak previews on the news we're covering in each episode. So that's all we're covering in this show but don't worry if you're used to more vegan talk after the news it's still coming we've just changed things around a bit you need to wait until Thursday now for our vegan talk show so we're now keeping our vegan week news chat and our vegan talk deeper discussions on separate shows just to make it easier for you to find the content you want more quickly. That's right, Ant. And on this week's Vegan Talk, the three of us will be discussing Earthing Ed's new book, How to Argue with a Meat Eater and Win Every Time. So be sure to look out for that one on Thursday. Either set up notifications on your podcast provider, subscribe to our feed, or just check back on the Enough of the Falafel page Thursday morning and it will be up there, along with our Going Vegan series, which you definitely need to check out if you haven't already. Absolutely. Right, that's Enough of the Falafel for this week's Vegan News. I've been Anthony. She's been Kate. And he's been Tom. And this has been episode 26 of Vegan Week. This show is kindly sponsored by our friends at Fire & Flow Coffee Roasters. 
And they're such great people. They're offering all enough of the Falafel listeners a cheeky 10% off orders on their online store when using the code FALAFEL10. That's FALAFEL, the number 10. Fire and Flow, a specialty coffee roastery based in the Cotswold with a fully vegan coffee shop on site. Yeah, they're a vegan founded company too. They're run by three friends, Shah, Callum and Phil, and they specialise in roasting and supplying wholesale coffee beans to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels and offices. For the wholesale part of their operations, they work with other businesses to help them get the most out of their coffee offering, with free barista training and full technical support included. The products themselves are the result of their passion for working with skilled and ethical-minded farmers who produce the highest quality beans. Fire and Flow then roast them to perfection in small batches at their roastery in Sirencester, which you can visit at any time book onto one of their barista courses or roastery tours via their website fireandflowcoffee.co.uk While you're there, you can check out the beautiful, fully vegan coffee shop on site. I've been there myself. It's absolutely brilliant and it's open seven days a week from nine till three. The last time I went, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was glorious. It's just a fab place to hang out and feel good about life. Give them a follow on Instagram to get the latest at fireandflowcoffee. And for those online orders, remember the code exclusively for our brilliant Enough of the Falafel community. That is Falafel 10. 10 is 1 and 0. So Falafel 1, 0.